Have you ever found yourself in a situation where someone you love is doing something that you know is not good for them? Okay, I see a few head nods. This week, one of my children, who I will allow to remain nameless, was given an instruction by mom. And I'm at the table working on my computer, uh, doing some research on various things. And all of a sudden, I kind of get the sense that my child is not following through on mom's instructions. And so I turn around, and sure enough, my child is in their own little world. And so I bring correction. My correction was received with grumpiness, with sadness, and a continued reluctance to want to obey. Parents, I know you have no idea what this is like, because as I look at her, all these kids are perfect angels, right? But yes, this happened in the birdhouse this week. So I later tried to connect with my, my kid, and I tried to help them see that my correction really was not about me. Because if I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, I, I could have just continued to ignore them and just keep working away on my computer. I actually stopped what I was doing to help refocus them because it was for their good. My child in that moment was being incredibly selfish with his or her time, and I knew I needed to help to redirect them to follow through because it was actually for their good. You see, I believe that God has put us into families as training ground. Because, kids, you don't, th you don't realize it right now, but one day you will actually leave your home. And you will have to go and integrate into society. And if we release a bunch of self-centered people, we just unleashed hell on the world, and you're going to be really, really, really unhappy. Because the quickest way to unhappiness is selfishness. Because you won't get everything your way. But... If we manage to raise our children to be wonderful, kind, selfless beings, they will be loved in their jobs. They will be a hit in their neighborhood. They'll have great marriages. They'll be awesome parents. And so that's why I stopped working to redirect my kid. It was actually for his or her good. This week I was talking to a friend of mine, a really good friend, and he found himself in a very similar situation, but it wasn't with one of his kids. It was with his a sibling, one of his brothers. His brother has not worked for the last four years. And you got to realize, his brother has a degree, used to hold a really good job, but hasn't worked for four years. And he keeps making decisions that will make it difficult for him to get a job. And the frustrating thing is that this brother keeps making these decisions and actually wants the extended family to approve of these decisions. And so my friend finds himself really, really frustrated because as a Christ follower, my friend wants to show grace. He wants to show love. He knows that in Romans 2 says that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So to sit there and yell at his brother for being lazy and, and doing the dumb things he's doing, he fears all it's going to do is push him away and it's not going to help the situation. And yet my friend is so frustrated, he just wants to grab his brother and shake him and say, come on, change. Now, my friend's brother lives in another city. And, and so it's not for my friend's reputation. Like no one would even know that this situation is going on. So for my friend to want his brother to change, it isn't for my friend's good. He wants his brother to change for his brother's good. His brother's being self-centered and it's damaging 
that if you and I are honest, we're more like my kid and my friend's brother than we probably want to admit. We are self-centered creatures. We so often fight to do what we want to do, to spend our time the way we want, to eat what we want, to drink what we want, to watch what we want. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We, we want freedom. I mean, we're Americans. Freedom's celebrated. And yet, that self-centeredness is keeping us from our best. This happens in our everyday lives, but it also happens in our spiritual lives. I know that there are a number of you out here today that you would say you are a Jesus follower. And so you know that there are certain things that God wants for you and expects of you, but yet you don't do. You you feel a little bit like Paul when he wrote in the book of Romans. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that I end up doing. You feel schizophrenic because you're a selfish creature like my kid or my friend's brother. Well, today we're going to look at a command of Jesus. We're looking at his ascension, and right before he ascends to heaven, he gives one last command. And what I've noticed about me and a lot of other Christians is that we don't follow through on it. We don't obey. Now, now, if you're like me, you want to obey, but you want to do it in your time in your own way. Because you're still selfish. So today we're going to look at this. And it might bring some guilt. So I'm just going to tell you right now, my goal is not to condemn. Right? Just my track record is that when you condemn someone, you make them feel guilty, you'll get changed for about this long. Right? It might last a week, maybe a day. Honestly, it'll probably last for an hour. Like after the football game's on the TV, you'll completely forget what I ever said. But if we can actually get to a place where we see that this command from Jesus, it isn't because he's trying to twist our arms to get us what he wants us to do. He's given us this command because he knows it's for our good and the good of others. Now we begin to actually get inspired by it. And we actually want to do this command. And we find ourselves doing it with joy. That's what I hope you walk out with today. Not feeling condemned because you aren't following this command, but instead joy and inspired to go and fulfill this command. So I need to put a little disclaimer here. At Riverwood, we welcome everyone, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Which means that often on a Sunday morning, we have people with us who do not follow Jesus yet. All right? And I want you to know, if that's you, I'm glad you're here. You might not believe this, but we actually started Riverwood Church for people exactly like you. Like I said in the beginning, our mission is to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. And so if you're feeling disconnected from God in any way, this is your church. We want to do anything and everything we can to help you connect with your creator and begin to follow him. We believe that happens through a relationship with Jesus. But I realize that that brings a lot of hangups. And so some people, they have questions, there's concerns. And and so we realize you might not be ready to just say yes to following Jesus. And so I just, I'm just going to be transparent and honest and say that today's message is for those who follow Christ. Now, typically when I teach, I try to teach to the whole spectrum because I believe that we're all humans and what we all need as humans is Jesus. 
So it's pretty easy. I can just direct all of us to Jesus, and no matter where you're at on that spiritual spectrum, you know which way to go. Today is just unique. As we look at the ascension of Christ, we can't help but notice what he says right before he ascends to heaven. And it's directed at his followers. Now, if, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, it does not mean I need you to get up and leave. No, the opposite. Stay put. I invite you. Listen in. Because I'm just going to let you know, my hope and dream for you is that you will follow Jesus one day. And if you make that decision to follow him, then this command is going to be expected of you. But I want you to hear it's not because it's some drudgery and some duty. That Instead, this is for your good and the good of the world. So I want you to listen in and hear what Jesus calls you to because it's actually beautiful. All right, let's pray one more time before we get into the scriptures. So, Father, we're getting ready to open up your timeless word. I pray that you would be our ultimate teacher today. So open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say, not what I'm trying to say. And may you help it communicate it the way it needs to be communicated to make the change in us that you need to make. So, Father, we surrender ourselves right now to what you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you brought a Bible with you, open it up to Acts chapter 1, Acts 1. Um, Next week, we are going to be in the entire book of Acts. We're going to see how the book of Acts points to Jesus. But today, as we look at the events following the resurrection, we're kind of forced to open up here to Acts chapter 1. Uh, The past two weeks, we saw, two weeks ago, we saw the crucifixion of Jesus and how incredibly brutal it was. And then last week, we saw the resurrection of Jesus. So, So we kind of had Easter Sunday here last week. Well, Jesus spent about 40 more days on earth before one more big event happened. And that's what we see here in Acts 1. So join me in Acts 1, verse 9. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they, the disciples, were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This, in the Christian church, is known as the ascension. The ascension of Jesus I want you for a second to imagine you're up there on that mountain. Jesus says his last words to you, and all of a sudden he just begins to rise, to like levitate. And then he just keeps going until he just disappears into the clouds. I, I think for the disciples, there was an incredible mix of emotions going on. I mean, first of all, they loved this Jesus. I, I mean, they, they now knew who he was, and they saw and sensed his love for them. So they're just overwhelming with love. They're also overwhelmed with awe. I, I mean, most of these guys had spent like three years with him. I mean, they saw him heal the sick, feed 5,000 people, walk on water, calm storms. And then they also heard him teach. He taught like no one else. And, and then the biggest miracle of all. He says, I'm going to lay my life down, and then I'm going to take it back up. And sure enough, he did. He dies a brutal death upon the cross, and yet three days later, rises again from the dead. They're now in awe of this man. They are worshiping him because they now realize he's not just a man. He is also fully God. And yet, as they're standing there on that mountaintop, all of a sudden, Jesus just begins to arise and leave. I probably assume there's some sadness in there. He's he's taken off. If you're a military spouse, you might have an idea of what this is like. Because you love your spouse deeply and dearly. You're probably very, very proud that they're willing to serve your your country and and to be so selfless. And and yet when they get sent on a tour or they got to go away for training, it, it hurts. There's this ache because they're gone. You miss them. That, I think, is a 
bit of what the disciples are feeling in this moment. This mix of emotions. But Jesus prepared them for this day. If you, if you know where the book of John is, it's one, one book to the left. Open to John 16. We're coming back to Acts uh, 1 here in a minute. But John 16. Um, three weeks ago, we looked at the Passover meal. We, we saw how Jesus took this traditional Jewish feast and drew out of it what we now know as communion, what we just celebrated a little bit ago. And, and it was in that meal that Jesus began to explain some of what was going to be happening and coming. And so he goes on to this long discourse. It just launches into another sermon. And it's right in the middle of this sermon in John 16 that Jesus says this. It's a John 16 verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let, let's kind of parse this out for, for a minute. Back in verse 5, Jesus says, I'm going to him who sent me. All right, who is it that sent Jesus? Anyone? The Father. All right, so Jesus is returning back to the Father. But what is the emotional response of the disciples? What does he perceive is going on in their hearts? Anyone? What, what? Yeah, he's leaving them. What's their emotional response? Sorrow, sadness, right? So, so they're now suddenly emotionally distraught at the idea of this amazing guy leaving them. And so Jesus, in a sense, responds, hey, guys, don't be sad. He, he says there in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Now, that sounds weird. I mean, it, it sounds like the girl who's breaking up with you and says, oh, hey, you know, it, it's, it's not you. It's me. I think this will be better for you. And, that, you know, and then like a week later, she's dating another guy. Not that I know from personal experience or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm now married to a wonderful woman, so I'm no longer bitter. <laughs> Jesus is not breaking up with the disciples. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's saying that my leaving is actually going to strengthen our relationship. It's an advantage to them. How so? He says, because I will send the helper. Who or what is the helper? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And we don't have time today to go into a whole theological treatise of who the Holy Spirit is. But just suffice it to say, the scriptures speak a lot about him. I realize that a lot of Christian churches, we talk a lot about God the Father, we talk a lot about God the Son, Jesus, but sometimes we don't really talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. That's why Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God, because he's the part of the, the Trinity that often seems to be forgotten. But what we know about the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is very active. He's involved in our salvation. Scriptures talk about how he convicts us of our sin. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about he, when, when we place our faith in Jesus, he seals our heart. It, it ensures that we are an inheritance to God. Right? The, the scriptures also tell us that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. That, that when someone places their faith in Jesus, not only does everything change on the spiritual level, the Holy Spirit comes to, to fill within them, to dwell within them, and gives them spiritual gifts that they're to use for the benefit of the church. But when Jesus is ascending to heaven, he's going to remind them of this helper, this Holy Spirit. But he doesn't go into all of that. He says one thing, one more reminder about what the Holy Spirit does. And that is back there in Acts chapter 1. So in verse 9, Jesus ascends. 
So right in verse 8, he says this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. Now, everything else we just talked about is true concerning the Holy Spirit. But we got to stop and think, okay, so Jesus says you're going to receive power. He doesn't say you're going to receive spiritual gifts. You're going to receive salvation. You're going to receive that seal. No, he says you're going to receive power. Why does Jesus center on power? Because of what they're going to do. That's the second half of the verse. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They're going to be witnesses. Now, now on one level, that's kind of easy. I mean, they're witnesses because they saw him brutally killed on a cross. And then they saw him on the third day come alive again. I mean, they witnessed this. And so it's really easy. But yet, this is going to be a revolutionary message. And people will come against it because it's going to sound so foolish. So they're going to need power. And it isn't just to go around telling their friends. No, it's to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And did you notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, you will be my witnesses if you want. No, it's like Jesus knows. You guys, you've seen the most miraculous thing in all of history. You're not going to be able to keep this to yourself. You're going to end up telling people. In fact, here in Acts 1.8, he doesn't like command it, but he does command it in another place. So join me over in Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you find Mark, just go back a little bit. Matthew 28, right at the end. Now, Jesus says some of the exact same things. I think it takes place at a slightly different time because in Acts 1.8, it seems like they're in Jerusalem. This one takes place in Galilee. But he still is kind of getting this message across to them. And I want you to hear it. Matthew 28, start in verse 16 with me. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I, I, by the way, I love that verse. If you ever find yourself wrestling with doubt, all you have to realize is that even some of the disciples saw a crucified Jesus, saw him rise from the dead, and they still doubted. All right? Somehow I take comfort in that because Jesus still uses them and this command still applies to them. He still calls them to follow him even despite their doubts. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A handful of weeks ago, we looked at the message of Jesus. And we saw that Jesus had one consistent message throughout all four of the Gospels. His one thing was that he was king. Jesus' one thing that he was that he was king. King of what? King of the kingdom of God. You see, over and over and over, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And it had this now, not yet aspect to it. It's like, now that Jesus is here, it's like it's here, but yet it's near. Because when Jesus was teaching it, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. But as he's going through the crucifixion, when he has a bunch of thorns jammed onto his head, he's being crowned king. When the blood and wounds are covering his body, those are his kingly robes. 
And when Jesus burst out of the grave, he assumed his throne. That's why Paul in Philippians 2 says that Jesus, who became obedient even to death, is then exalted and sits on the throne so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, Jesus is king. And so because Jesus is king, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So his next words aren't the great suggestion. They're the great commandment. And what is that command? To do one thing. To make disciples. To put this in Riverwood language, it's to invite the spiritually disconnected to find and follow Jesus. It's to invite people to, hey, here's Jesus. Here's the story. He invites you to follow him, to become part of his spiritual family. Which means you have to evangelize. Evangelism has become a very scary word. It's kind of right there nowadays with proselytize. It, you know, if, if a pastor starts saying, okay, you need to go evangelize. There's like this cringe factor inside. We, we just kind of re, revile back because all we can picture in our heads is like people standing on street corners with bullhorns yelling at people or going door to door or handing out tracts. And, and there's something about it just seems icky and, and you just revile away. Now, some people love it. Some people are like, yes, let's go. We got to do evangelism. And that's what they want to do. But for a majority of us, it's like, oh, I, I don't know that I want to. And yet we're seeing that the last command of Jesus is to go and evangelize. So maybe what we need is a new definition of evangelism. And to help you understand it, I want to tell you about the Relevant podcast. Some of you have heard of Relevant magazine. Often we give that as our graduation gift in May to uh, our graduates. Uh, Relevant magazine focuses on, you know, pop culture, current issues, but also trying to help people in their faith. And they, they uh, often don't take a strong theological stance in certain areas, but at the same time, they uh, uh, want to help point people towards Christ. Well, years ago, I started listening to the Relevant podcast, and sometimes they have really good interviews that I enjoy. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you hear about pop culture stuff or current events, but honestly, the reason I listen to it is because they make me laugh. Uh, just, I'll be honest, it, it, it's funny. I just, I can't help but laugh. And because I've enjoyed it, Hundreds of thousands of other people have come to enjoy it as well. And as this podcast has become more and more popular, they've started to allow advertisers to, to help sponsor it. Except the relevant podcast does their sponsorships differently. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's quite common for the host to, you know, do something. Or sometimes there's a pre-made commercial that they share during it. But for the relevant podcast, they will do it differently. The, the show starts off and they'll say, it's the week of, you know, whatever. And you're listening to the relevant podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by, and they'll name some company. And then usually the guy can't even get to the next sentence without one of the other cast members jumping in going, oh, I love them. And they will just start going on and on and on. And they will take the next two to three minutes to rave about this product. Whether it's Squarespace websites, Blue Apron meal delivery, Warby Parker glasses. I mean, they will just go on and on and on. And they've kind of given you a peek behind the curtain. What they do is anyone who asks, can we advertise on your podcast? They'll say, you must send us your product. What is it that you want to advertise? And if they get it and don't like it, you can't advertise. However, if they get it and love it, they will gladly let you be an advertiser. Because they will then rave and rave and rave about it. 
and it's far better than any commercial they could ever make. It's so effective, it's even worked on me. I now own Bombas Socks because of the relevant podcast. After weeks of hearing them rave on and on and on about socks, I mean, they like they would plan when they're flying on, in airports to make sure that they were wearing their Bombas socks. And I mean, it was just like crazy. And finally, I had some socks that I bought. They, they, the company would give one sock for every sock that you bought. They would give one to a homeless shelter. And I thought, that's a cool cause. I'll, I'll give to that. And so I bought these socks. And within just a few weeks, they were getting holes in them. And I was needing new socks already. Well, Bombas does the exact same thing. They give socks to the homeless for everyone that you buy. But this, these guys just raved about them. So I thought, all right, I'll try it. And I go online and I see, whoa. Oh, that costs a little more than Walmart. But I did it. I bought the socks and I put them on and I am now a raving fan of Bombas socks. So if you want, I can give you an affiliate link and you can go and uh, get your own socks and support me in the process. Um, they're, they're amazing. But do you realize what they're doing? They are evangelizing. And now I am evangelizing you for Bombas. The word evangelism used to have this Christian connotation to it. And yet, culture and business have kind of co-opted it and taken it to the point that the Cambridge Dictionary now defines evangelism as simply to talk about how good you think something is. That's all evangelism is. So when you're telling someone about a movie that you saw and loved and you think they'd like it too, you're evangelizing. When you tell someone about the great restaurant that you just went to, you're evangelizing. When you start telling someone about socks, you're evangelizing. And so if you consider yourself a Jesus follower, you have the greatest thing in all of history. Why would you not share it? That is why this is not to be drudgery. It's not to be duty. You don't treat people like projects. It's simply sharing the good thing that you have experienced. Which means... If you find yourself not wanting to share your faith with someone, you probably need to say, why? Because maybe it means that you don't quite understand the gospel yet and what it means. Maybe it's because you've grown up in church. This is just what you do. And you just haven't wrapped your mind around the beauty of the gospel message that says that you are a broken and imperfect person. And yet God, through Jesus, is restoring you into the perfect and complete image of Jesus. And it happens through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when you realize that story, it becomes the center of who you are. And it utterly changes you. And so you can't help but share it. That's all that Jesus is asking us to do. To share now, he gives three clarifiers on this, all right? In Matthew 28, three clarifiers for making disciples. They are go, baptize, and teach. Go, baptize, and teach. First, go. The word go could be translated as you are going. And, and I really like that because it's as you're going to work, as you're going home, as you're going to your neighborhood, as you're hanging out with your friends, as you're going to your service organization, as you are going, make disciples. The problem is, though, at least for me, is, yeah, I'll go. And I realize God goes with me, but I don't go with any intention. I'm just going to work or I'm just going to the exchange club. I just go. But when Jesus says to go and make disciples, he's saying go with some intention. In other words, you can't just sit back and expect people to come to you. I think sometimes that's what we want. We think, oh, if I just live my life a certain way, people will just come up to me and go, what's different about you? 
I mean, there's a Keith Green song I loved that, that, you know, would sing about that. And so that's how I'd lived my life. And yet what you discover is that people wouldn't come. Jesus didn't say, sit back and wait for them to come. He says, go. Go with intention. But as you go and you make these disciples, he says to baptize them. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo. It means to immerse. In the fashion industry, a cloth maker would take a piece of cloth, and it would just be, you know what, white or off-white, whatever the cotton was. But if you wanted it to be red or blue or purple, you would have to dip it in this dye. You would immerse it. You would baptize it. And that dye would get into all of the, the little parts of the, the cotton or, or, what, or the wool and, and to completely and fundamentally change it so that as you dipped it in and pulled it out, it's not the same cloth anymore. Its identity has changed. It's no longer this off-white. It's now purple. Jesus is saying, when you baptize someone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're changing their identity. They're now letting the gospel get into every fiber of their being, and it is to fundamentally change them. That's why at Riverwood, we push baptism. We really want you, if you are a follower of Jesus, we want to see you be baptized. Not because you're doing it out of duty, but because you're publicly saying, this gospel has infiltrated every part of my being. This is the center of who I am. It's about my identity. And so if you've never been baptized and you would identify as a Jesus follower, would you just write, I'm ready to be baptized on your connection card? We, I'll be honest, we don't have a date set. But if you're ready, we'll find a date. We'll find a way. We'll make it happen. We want you to help you go public with your faith in Jesus. Because Jesus says, he commands it. As you make these disciples, baptize them. Immerse them into the gospel. And then lastly, he says to teach. To teach them. It is to disciple them to become more and more like Jesus. It's teaching people how to love like Jesus loved, how to live like Jesus lived, and even to obey the very final command of Jesus. And that's to leave behind what Jesus left behind. Disciples. You see, when you make disciples, as you invite people to become Jesus followers, it isn't just again, oh, hey, I now follow Jesus. Awesome. Great. Done. No, you're to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So teach them. Teach them to study the scriptures. If, if you don't know how to do that, start learning how to study the scriptures. T- teach them how to make their faith active, which means you need to make your faith active. That's why at Riverwood, we're committed to our growth groups. We've established these groups to be environments where you can come together and get into the scriptures together, studying it for yourself, talking about it, dialoguing, and then praying for one another, encouraging each other to follow Jesus. So if you're not in a growth group, get in a growth group. If your schedule doesn't work for our Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday growth group, just grab a friend and get breakfast once a week. Go do coffee. Just invite another family over. Find a way to get into intentional relationships where you can encourage each other, where you can teach each other to follow Jesus. So, simply, uh, go, baptize, and teach. Now, I want to make this practical for you. And so today I'm going to give you three tools to help you follow this one command of making disciples, of sharing the gospel. All right? The first is to pray. To pray. Um, I'm going to invite the ushers. What they're passing out right now is a prayer card. And I, I want one per person. So everyone can take it. Don't do it like one per family. It's one per person. All right? And again, this is for those who follow Jesus. If, you, if you're not there yet, I'm not expecting you to take one of these. But... Uh, let me give a little explanation. On the top of that card, you notice it'll say, to reach the 10, pray for 10. 
where that comes from is that when I moved to Waverly and I was trying to figure out what type of church does Waverly need, I did all these kind of conversations, if you will, interviews with different people within our community. I ended up doing about 50 conversations. And what I learned was that several people said, Waverly doesn't need any more churches. We have plenty. And, And so I thought, well, how can I help people understand that there really is a need for another church? I discovered that about 30 to 40% of people in this area attend church on a somewhat regular basis. So I said, you know what? Let's just bump that up to 50%. Let's just say 50% of people in this area attend church on a regular basis and not just attend church, have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. All right? That would still mean there's 50% of people who don't. And all we're praying is that God would connect us with 10% of those people. Well, in a community like Waverly, that's 10,000 people. So 50% would be 5,000. So we're just praying for 10%, which is 500 people. We would love to see someday baptize the 500th person because we're seeing God use all of us to invite people to follow Jesus. And so that's how we're going to reach the 10. In order for us to reach the 10, it's all of us being on mission together, following this last command of Jesus before he ascended. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is to pray for 10. For us to reach the 10, pray for 10. Just simply write 10 names down on your card and just commit yourself to praying for them. Now, I realize that that could become burdensome, all right? You might be sitting there going, ooh, can I come up with 10 people? If you only write three or four down, okay. Some of you, as you look at your workplace going, oh my goodness, I don't think I can keep it to 10. All right, there's the backside's empty. All right, go for it. Write down 20. I don't care. The idea, though, is, are you praying for people who are spiritually disconnected? Are you praying for them? And then you're probably going to need to find some way to remind yourself to pray. Because if you're like me, it's going to be really easy to forget. You could talk, hear about it on a Sunday, and you're going to forget it by Wednesday. So put it somewhere where you see it. Set an alarm every day to pray for one of your ten. Or you could use, like, the Echo app. I use uh, this little prayer app called Echo Every day I have it go off at 7.30 and it gives me four prayer requests because that's how I've set it up. You could even tell it to give you like a different person on different days. Or maybe you just pick, you know, Monday through Friday. If you've got 10 names on there, pick two people for every Monday, two people for every Tuesday. That way you pray for all 10 once a week. Just do something to continue to remind yourself to pray for those who are spiritually disconnected because you know that you're still growing in your faith with Jesus and you can look at what Jesus has done for you because of the gospel. So pray for those who need it. And pray that God would open their eyes, pray for opportunities to share, and even pray for the next thing. Pray for opportunities to invite, to invite. Riverwood has a couple of ways that you can invite people, whether it be to Sunday gathering or something else. We've got first these prayer cards. They're going to hand these out. We've got them in little packets for you. These are always on that back table. So any Sunday you can come in, pick some up, and take them with you. I keep some in my wallet. Jeff keeps some in his car. Uh, My wife keeps some in her purse. Just keep some of these invitation cards with you at all times. Because then when you're in a conversation with someone and they start saying something like, you know, I, I really should go to church. Ah. You could come to my church and you give them this little invite card. But I don't want you thinking that the only place you can invite them is to a Sunday worship gathering. Some people have been so hurt and burned by organized religion that to come on a Sunday morning, it it would be nearly impossible. They'd probably have a panic attack just by parking their car in the parking lot. So invite them into your growth group. Some people, they would be willing to study the Bible in a a smaller setting. Or, Or maybe just invite them to your house for a meal. Or 
maybe it's a coworker, invite them out for lunch or, or to breakfast. Invite someone to go out for coffee. Simply find a way to invite. Pray for these spiritually disconnected friends and family, but then invite them. Invite them into your life. I realize some people, they're difficult. God's going to grow you through it. But find ways to invite them into your life, whether it be for a Sunday morning or into your growth group or, or just for a meal. And then the last thing, though, is to share. I mean, please be praying for them. Please invite them. But ultimately, you need to be ready to share about this gospel that has become the center of who you are. And so right now, the ushers are going to pass out one last tool. I know, man, you're going to be walking out of here just loaded. Should have told you to bring backpacks this week. Uh, your yes, it's your toolbox. There you go. All right. This, uh, this tool is uh, just a small little booklet that explains the gospel. Uh, it's, it's just very, very simple. And uh, it's, it's not an in-your-face type of approach. So you can simply read through it and take someone through it with you. Or you could kind of memorize it. And then that way, when you're at a restaurant, you could draw it out on a napkin. Maybe you already know of some other uh, tools like the bridge illustration or, or, or something else. You could use those. The, the goal is not to have this tool. The goal is to share your faith and share the gospel. Some people just need something like this. Uh, the same organization that created this little booklet also created an app both for Android and for uh, iOS. However, I, as I upgraded to iOS 11 uh, last week, this app no longer works because I went to check it. Uh, so iOS 11 destroyed the app. So if you're still on iOS 10 or earlier, the app will work great. Uh, um, but if you've got an Android, you can go and, and download it there. The point is that so often we just want someone to, to come to know who Jesus is just by kind of osmosis. But almost always it's going to require words. And I'm going to be honest. I would love someday to be standing, whether it be out there or somewhere else, baptizing someone, and they're sharing their testimony. As they share their story, they say, I would like to thank, and they say your name. Because the reason that they're being baptized is because they met Jesus. And the reason they met Jesus is because they came to Riverwood. And the reason they came to Riverwood is because you invited them. Because you shared the gospel with them. And their life changed. That's what I would love to see you experience. So please, let's obey the last command of Jesus before he ascended. Let's receive that power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, to simply share this good thing that we have received. We have received Jesus, and we're not to keep it to ourselves. We are to give it away. So I invite you, pray for these people, invite them, and then just find a way to share the gospel with them. And then you leave it up to God. Let him do what he needs to do. But you do what King Jesus calls you to, to go and make disciples. So Father, I just pray that the words that I have shared, that they ultimately were from you. I'm just going to kindly ask that anything that I said that is not in, in sync with your heart, that you would allow us to just graciously forget those things as we leave here this morning. But the things that are in sync with your spirit, that, that are a part of the scriptures, would you just embed those things deep into our life? May it be a seed that takes root. And would you grow something great through us? Jesus, I realize these must have been incredibly important words for them to be some of your last words that you said before you ascended to heaven. And so I pray that you'd help us to take them to heart. We wouldn't feel condemned because we haven't done it. Instead, we'd feel alive and encouraged and invigorated to go and do what you called us to do. You've changed our life fundamentally because of the gospel. 
Would you give us the chance to watch you do that in others? So Father, Father, I just pray you put on our hearts the people that are on your heart. Would you help us to see the people that you put around us? Would you help us to identify our 10 and to pray for them? Would you give us opportunities to invite them into our life, just to connect with them? But then would you create the conversation that they need to have happen, where they hear the gospel fully explained, and you would open their eyes so they can find Jesus and begin to follow him. So Jesus, we thank you for not only coming to earth, but that when you left, you didn't leave us alone. You sent your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'd help every Jesus follower that's here today to walk in the power of that Spirit and that he would make all the difference in our life. And Lord, before I end, I just want to pray for anyone here that does not know you. That as they've heard me talk about sharing our faith, that your Holy Spirit would have done something in them. And they would sense the story is true and it's real. That Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins and he rose again from the dead because he is God. And so Jesus, because you gave your life for us, I just ask that you would help move this person to give their life to you. That they would allow you to become their identity, the center of who they are. And they'd stop following false religions. They'd stop following self. They'd stop following the way of the world. That they would follow you. And you would become the most precious, important thing in their life. That you would become their identity. And they would sense you fundamentally change them at the core of their being. So God, I pray right now that you would give rebirth to someone. But I pray that you would use our whole church family to give rebirth. That you would use all of us to share our faith. And we would see a revival happen throughout Waverly and Janesville and Shell Rock and Denver and, and Bremer County and Butler County and beyond that you would do something so amazing, we would just sit back in awe of you and what you have done. And it would happen in such a way that it was clear that you were the one who did it. It wasn't because we had a clever way to say things. We had great tools and illustrations. It was simply because we committed ourselves to praying and you accomplished what only you can accomplish. And it would be the type of days that we would just sit back and tell our grandkids about the day we saw you move and we saw revival happen. God, I pray that you would do this for your glory and for our joy. So Father, continue to change us. Mold us more and more into the image of Jesus. Help us to love like Jesus loved, to live like Jesus lived, and to even leave behind what he left behind. And that was followers. Hear us now as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?